0: All right, Let's pray together. Lord, um, we are thankful, Lord, uh, for all that you offer us in our lives, and we're thankful, Lord, that you call us into your family to offer all that we are to you. Uh, And so, Lord, as we dig into this new series today in the book of James, uh, we ask you a few things, Lord. We pray, first of all, that our our minds and our hearts would be open, Lord, to what it is you have for us to learn, uh, to grow us, to stretch us, to challenge us in our faith. Uh, Lord, we pray also, uh, that whatever we need uh, to continue this journey here on earth, uh, until Jesus returns, we pray, God, that you would give us what we need through this text. and um, Help us to find encouragement and empowerment, Lord, to live for you. In all that we do, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us this morning. If we haven't met, I'm Pastor Andrew, one of the pastors here at Emmanuel, And uh, thanks for those online as well. I know it is a cold morning. I was seeing the beautiful sunrise this morning, which was beautiful if anyone was up early enough to see the clouds light up some different colors. Then I walked outside between the house and the church and I said, wow, it's cold, it's windy. And the wind kind of took the back door and held it open and I had to get even colder. And uh, thanks for being here, those of you that braved it out. And then again online, thanks for joining us from the warmth of probably your living room, uh, which is cool too. So uh, today, I'm excited. We get to start the, the series on James that we're doing this winter and into the spring. Uh, We didn't do it last week because we had some interesting weather last week as well, so we kind of punted a week so that we could have more of you with us today. Uh, And so as we get into this book of the Bible, uh, we want to uh, handle it with respect, we want to handle it, uh, viewing it as God's word to us, and we want to humble ourselves and submit ourselves to God's authority in the scripture. And so with any book of the Bible, with any scripture passage, there's a possibility that you or I might look at it and, and be like, wow, my life does not look like that. My life does not measure up to that. Sometimes the Bible tells us that we are doing something wrong. Sometimes the Bible tells us that we are doing something good and holy and pleasing. And we want to be able to better know what the Bible says about those things so that we can better live for God in our daily lives and all that we do and build our lives on that foundation, not a different foundation that's going to crumble. And so last week we kind of recapped some of those things about the authority of God's word in our lives, and this week we're digging into James. So sometimes we do those theme studies where we have a theme and we draw from different places in the scriptures for that, uh, but sometimes we pick a book of the Bible and we go through it. And I like it when we do this because it forces us to deal with all of the verses, not just the ones that we're sort of handpicking for a, a certain cause or a purpose, Right? And uh, even the ones that aren't easy to understand are verses that we're going to read together and study together in worship on Sundays for the next eight to ten weeks or so. And so that's what we're doing with James. And we're certainly going to interact with other scriptures in the Bible as well, uh, particularly those that are going to help us better understand the book of James and what we are reading here in this letter. Uh, These sermons might at times seem a little bit more academic uh, I, I put that like this, there's nothing wrong with academic, many of you are teachers or professors, you know academic can be a good thing. Uh, but this uh, teaching style, uh, going sort of verse by verse through the book of the Bible, uh, might seem a little bit more academic or like a classroom, but the things surrounding these verses and the context and the history and all these things help us to better understand God's word and live accordingly. So we don't want to sort of skirt away from some of those details that we might bring up and talk about as well. And so also, uh, I want you to know, uh, starting next week in our adult ed time, adult Sunday school before the service at 8.30, each week we're also going to be studying James and going a little bit deeper and studying some of the pieces that we don't have time to have as part of a sermon on Sunday morning. Uh, One of the emphasis in adult ed is going to be for people to read and study The Bible on their own as small groups around a table uh, and to learn how to read God's Word and and take what God is saying and apply it to our lives and how we live. So I encourage you to jump in there as well and come dig deeper on 830 on Sunday mornings uh, in the same series and the same text that we're going to be on for that Sunday as well. And then let that be an emphasis to you. I've said it a lot and I'm going to keep saying it. Uh, Don't just take my word for it, what the book of James says. Uh, you all have access to a Bible. You can look it up online if you don't have a hard copy. Most of you have a hard copy. You can read it for yourself. So don't just take my word for it. Don't just take Pastor Allison's word for it or some other YouTube preacher's word for it. Read the word of God for yourself. If you're a Christian, if you are someone who has val- who values what God thinks and what God communicates to his people, if you value what Jesus teaches and what God has provided for us in the scriptures, read it. Don't settle for less. Don't settle for less than what God has given you to learn and to grow and to better live out your faith here in this world. So with that, I want to dig in a little bit to the context uh, for the book of James, and the context is what you look at with a book of the Bible to better understand the times and what's surrounding it, the events maybe going on, learn a little bit about the author and who he's speaking to, because as you study those things, uh, what he is saying, what he is writing here in this letter begins to make a little bit more sense. Uh, and so I want to start by giving you some background for the book of James. And some of these things are going to be played on a couple different times throughout the series, so this is a foundation that we might come back to in weeks to come as well. Uh, but if you hear them twice, know that repetition is good. Repetition is good. Repetition is good. Right? I'm a dad. I had to do it. So, so who is James? Who is this guy writing the book of James. There's a strong general consensus in church history and in academic study that James is most likely James the brother of Jesus. The brother of Jesus. Well, half-brother, right? Half-brother of Jesus. But he would have been born of Joseph and Mary. And he was known as James the Just. And he is the James who is the leader of the early Jerusalem church and it's mentioned in Acts 15. There's a council of some of these early Christian apostles and leaders, and James is one speaking up in that council. He's mentioned by name there. Now this makes sense, given his addressing this letter to the dispersed Jewish people. So he's writing kind of from the place where Israel always gets dispersed from, from Jerusalem. And it is his heart to see the Jews, the Israelites in Jerusalem and all over the place, no matter where they landed, it's his desire in his heart to see them know Jesus Christ and to live according to the faith that they were brought up in and the faith that they discovered in and through the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So that's James. That's who's writing this. And think about when was it written. This is one of the earliest letters, epistles in the Old Testament, or in the New Testament that we have. Many scholars put it in the early to mid 40s AD. So this is maybe 10 to 15 years tops after Jesus' death and resurrection. So this is like, Really, really young Christianity here. Why was this written? What are some of the themes of the book of James? Uh, The primary theme here is that faith would be lived out. Very simple. Faith would be lived out. And themes develop in view of some of the social conflicts that are happening between the rich and the poor, as well as spiritual conflicts between segments that are factions of the church. If you look across the church in our nation and in our world today, there are segments and factions and denominations and groups and splits all over the place, right? And so James is addressing maybe some of these nuances that he is seeing and hearing about in Jerusalem and abroad as well. And then James is also in this book here, he is rejecting worldliness. He is rejecting this idea that we would come to a faith in Jesus Christ and then live not in the way that Jesus lives. It'd be called worldliness. He's rejecting that and he's encouraging people to seek God's wisdom and to have a faith that is worth living out, that's worth living out. Who is his audience? Anytime we read the book of the Bible or any of these letters, we want to know who it's being written to, right? Right? So this book, unlike a lot of the Apostle Paul's writings that we see in the New Testament, um, this book in James is not addressing a specific person or a specific church. And therefore, this is one of the earliest general letters that we call it. A general letter meant for circulation to many and all Christians, all churches. Uh, It wasn't just addressed to a specific town like Corinthians was, the church in Corinth. It was addressed to anybody who would have received and read it and could be applicable for anybody who received and read it. And then also, James isn't addressing specific church issues like he was in Romans or some of these other books. He is addressing things more broadly, and he's sort of assuming the faith already exists in these places. Now, if you know anything about Lutheran heritage or history, um, Martin Luther always gets accused of not liking the book of James. James. And there's, there's kind of a reason for that. Uh, Martin Luther, part of the Reformation was to, to, to read the Bible and to understand that it says you cannot earn your faith through our works. We cannot do good things and somehow come to salvation in Jesus Christ because we have done good things. That was kind of what was being preached and taught and upheld in the church at the time of the Reformation. And so Luther had this strong aversion to any message that looked like works-based salvation. Because when you read the book of Romans and the New Testament, it's very clear that we are saved by grace through faith. We are not saved by the work that we do or the goodness that we somehow bring to the table. We are saved by God's goodness that he brings to the table. And so he didn't like maybe teachings that sounded like good works. And that's kind of some of the tone that you hear from the book of James today. Now, church teachings in and before Luther's time, they probably used the book of James to prop up this idea that the people have to do this and this and this to be loved by God. So it was maybe something that was misused and needed some correction in that time. And I would argue that some could be led to lead it that way, to use it that way as well. Now, since the ideology in James, it contrasts with the Romans' teaching of justification by grace through faith. Uh, Martin Luther would say it's, it's important not to preach something other than that by grace through faith, right? But there's actually a lot of harmony between Paul's writings and James's writings. And uh, let me explain that to you. Paul, because he is writing to specific churches or people, because of specific issues that have already been brought up, Paul is addressing the theology. Paul is addressing the theology that sort of underpins what healthy behavior is going to look like in the Christian church. James, on the other hand, is assuming that that theology, that faith, is already there, and he's jumping right into that life application. So James is never once arguing that these good works are bringing you to faith in Jesus. He's assuming that the faith is already there, and now he wants the church to act like it. So that's kind of our foundation for James. Now, We're going to dig into James 1, 1 through 4, and we're just going to take those four verses for the rest of the message this morning and unpack those a little bit. Uh, If you do have a Bible with you that you brought, I would encourage you to pull it out. Feel free to underline some things, make some notes. Um, Otherwise, I will be reading each verse and then have some notes up on the screen, too, to help us better understand what's going on. So James chapter 1, 1 through 4. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Now, we could take a verse like this and just keep reading, right? But there's a few things we want to point out in this verse. James views himself as a servant, some translations say slave, to God, to Jesus. What does it mean to be a slave? What does it mean to be a servant? In any slave or servant relationship in the first century in the Roman Empire, because that's where he's writing from here. James is saying that he exists and is bound to the will of his master. He is bound to the will of Jesus. That is why he exists. That is the relationship that he has with God the Father and Jesus Christ, who is the Messiah, he believes. Now think, if if this is truly Jesus' brother, that's a pretty profound thing for him to say. How many of you have siblings? Raise your hand if you have siblings. Almost all of you do. How many of you at any point in your life wanted to be a servant or slave of one of your siblings? Right. You see, James is really showing a deep and a mature faith here, right? Because uh, he probably grew up and probably had a lot of interactions with Jesus over the years. Uh, but he is one who saw, yes, my brother is my the Messiah, Right? So this this is actually really just confounding to me. Most of us would never ever in a million years want to be subservient to a sibling. That's how much James believes that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior. And so he's willing to say that, that he is a servant or a slave to Jesus. Really, in the kingdom of God, if Jesus is our king, we are his subjects. We have that same relationship as servants of the one true king. And Paul even uses that language of being a slave to Christ. So, James then references in this first one the 12 tribes, right? He says, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Now, interestingly, Jesus chose 12 disciples, right? So when Jesus started his earthly ministry, he chose 12 disciples to kind of signify the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, Anybody who was studying or learning in that time would have seen that correlation, And so Jesus, in a way, he's kind of identifying this as the new Israel or or the new church. He's going to do something here to sort of bring back God's heart and God's intention the way it was intended to be with the nation of Israel in the first place. So James here, he's not just saying that offhand. He's saying that to remind these early Jewish Christians of their spiritual heritage as the people of God. They're part of those 12 tribes. They're part of that family. And now through Jesus Christ, they're part of his church his family. And so these Jews living in Jerusalem or wherever this letter is to be circulated, they're reminded here that they have a living God who has not forgotten his promises of old. And then James talks about a dispersion. A dispersion is where something gets like spread out or or, or pushed out. If there's a crowd and the police come to break it up, they say they disperse the crowd, right? They want this concentration to get scattered. And so James is talking about the scattering of the Israelites, the scattering of the Jewish people. And at this time, the tribes were scattered throughout the world. And they had been many times through the Assyrian Empire rule, through Babylonian Empire rule, and other times as well. And so he's saying, hey... I am writing to any and all of God's people, not just here, but anywhere. Anywhere that this letter goes, anywhere that this letter is received, may it be read and learned. So verse 2, James writes this, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. How many of you just get really joyful inside when something bad happens? No, that's countercultural, right? That's not something that we're used to. And he says, consider it joy, not just the feeling. We talked about that a lot last fall. Not just the feeling of joy, but something deeper and unshakable because of who Jesus is, not because of our circumstances. This is the joy that he's talking about. He's talking about these deep wells of satisfaction found only in Jesus Christ. Now, N.T. Wright writes about this in one of his commentaries. He says, why should we feel joy? He says, we should because when a Christian is tested, when a Christian is going through trials... It shows that something real is actually happening in our faith and in our growth. It shows that something real is happening. You wouldn't be tested, N.T. Wright argues, if you weren't following Jesus. You wouldn't be tested if your following Jesus wasn't something serious or real. And so disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus, are supposed to be doing something real with our lives, right? That's why we are part of the church, part of his body, to carry on the work that he gave us to do. It's called the Great Commission. And so disciples of Jesus were supposed to be doing something real and have a faith that is real and active and observable because we are supposed to be making an observable difference in the world that we live in. And if we are doing that, if we are living out our faith in a way that is active and real and observable, then there's often going to be spiritual resistance, And there's going to be cultural resistance. And sometimes there's even going to be resistance from others also claiming to be Christian. And so James here is writing, When the trials come, be rooted in the joy of the Lord. Like, that's where we stand. When the storm comes, the trials, the tests, whether that's an opportunity to do something good and challenging, or whether that's a temptation uh, to go into sin or not go into sin, or whether that's circumstances in our lives that cause us to be downcast or broken or grieving or sorrowful, in any of those situations, root ourselves in the joy of the Lord. He continues in verse 3. He says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Many translations say steadfastness, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Now, what is testing? We are tested in many different ways. Uh, we have trials of many different kinds, and we're, in the future weeks, we'll get into the nuances between what a test is and what a trial is. But for, for today, we are tested by the world around us. We are tested often by the evil one, by Satan. And sometimes, I think we are even tested by Jesus himself. And now that's not a test to tempt us, because God doesn't tempt us. James will talk about that in this book as well. But testing isn't always about avoiding something negative, right? When we take a test in school, most students think it's negative, but it's actually something positive to demonstrate that we have grown and learned in our understanding of something. And so the testing that we go through as Christians is often the same thing. It can also be Jesus inviting us and challenging us to grow in a new way. So tests can be good. Tests can also be hard and struggle and negative. Uh, In all of those, it takes time. So James says to persevere. Persevere in the face of these tests. Now the message translation by uh, by, uh, Eugene Peterson says this. He says, when tested, your faith life is pushed out into the open to show its true colors. When you are tested, your faith is pushed out into the open to show its true colors. That's a really interesting way of putting it, and I think it helps me better understand what James is writing. And then I added little notes here, for better or for worse. When we are tested, sometimes our true colors are not true colors that we're proud of. Sometimes they can be. So testing is not only necessary for us to grow in Jesus Christ, but it is also through the testing... That the world is actually gonna see our faith and our love for Jesus Christ. It's not necessary just to grow in Christ, but it is through the testing that the world is actually gonna see our witness. So, it's important. How we handle the trials and the tests, how we handle those things at the body of Christ is important. And James understood this. And then, verse four, he writes this Let perseverance or steadfastness finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. Not lacking anything. Oftentimes when we are faced with a trial or an opportunity to persevere, uh, we don't normally think of letting it, letting the perseverance run its course. Uh, So that's an interesting way to look at this. And I think what James is writing here, he says, don't try to exit it prematurely. Don't shy away from an opportunity to grow when you are facing a trial or a test. What's our first instinct when we're in pain? To stop being in pain, right? For my back, if I have back pains, I'm either stretching or I'm laying down, I'm finding a position that it doesn't hurt in, I'm going to see my chiropractor, I'm grabbing the bottle of ibuprofen, whatever that looks like, right? Because I don't like pain, I don't want to feel that pain. And a lot of times in our lives, that is just our first instinct. When there's any test or tension or trial, we just want to alleviate the pain, and so often our instinct might be to run or turn away or to flee from that. Or sometimes we self-medicate, or sometimes we just look for a way out. Uh, But James here is saying, when your faith is being tested, when your faith is being tested, this perseverance is actually God's work in and through the Holy Spirit working in you and through you. And if it's God working on you, don't put the kibosh on it. If it's God working on you, don't stop God from working on you. And trying to bring you through that and work this. Let God's work through the Holy Spirit run its course. And then there's this phrase, so that, that we talked about a few weeks ago so that you may be mature and complete. Matureness in our faith, completeness in our faith, steadfastness or perseverance in trials, it does make you grow, it does make you more mature. It does help you to live a more holy and a more pleasing life, and it does help in your ability to glorify God. And so it's needed. And yes, the holiness is only complete and fully realized when Jesus returns, I know that. But right now, God, in, th- in any test, and any trial, wants to work in and through you through his Holy Spirit to bring maturity and growth. And then to show the world in the midst of it who you serve and the love that you have experienced in knowing Jesus Christ. This testing and these trials, they lead to perseverance, and it will lead to a more mature expression of our faith and a, more, a deeper commitment to our Lord and Savior Jesus. And I hope that we want that as Christians. So as much as the world might say, run away from the trial, run away from the challenge, let's stay rooted in our joy, And let's ask the Lord to guide us and to do the work that he wants to do so that we may become mature and complete. So there's a lot in four verses of the Bible, right? And a lot of our sermons will be like this in the coming weeks and months, uh, maybe without all the context at the beginning, but I just want to give you a good summary here and some application. Uh, So for these first four verses, what can we take away? The first thing is this, trials and testing of our faith, it is a given. If we have faith in Jesus Christ, we're going to have them. We're going to have trials. We're going to have tests. We're going to have temptations and all of the things that come with that. And if we believe in Jesus and want to live according to his life and his teachings, then we are going to have these trials and tests. It's an inevitability, right? So it's not something that you should be uh, surprised of or get sad about when these trials come. But it's something you should be like, okay, Lord, how are you going to lead me through this? How are you going to lead me through this in a way that is honoring and pleasing to you? Some of these trials might be small, some of them might be large, and others might not even seem like tests until years down the road. But don't take these trials or tests as a bad thing, rather as the natural progression of living for Jesus. The second thing I think we can take from this passage here is that we need to resist the urge to flee from or avoid the challenges in our lives. Certainly, there are challenges that result from our own pride or sin. That's a little different conversation we'll have later. I'm not saying that you should stay stuck in your sin and endure those challenges. I'm saying you should uh, repent, and repentance is a challenge in and of itself. It is a test or a trial in and of itself. But rather, I'm talking about the circumstances or the trials that are going to grow you into who Jesus intends you to be. Those are the things we shouldn't shy away from, particularly, I think, when it comes to relationships. Uh, I think that we often avoid conflict when it exists rather than we working to resolve the conflict. Jesus' work on the cross was meant to resolve the conflict between our sin and God's holiness. It was meant to restore a relationship. And so a lot of our trials, a lot of our tests are going to come in that area of the relationships and the people around us and in our church and in our community And so when we interact with each other, consider it a trial, a work of persevering, and it is worth persevering through when we as brothers and sisters in Christ need to actually work on our relationships with each other too. Uh, That's just a particular emphasis point that I think was needed. So many of the trials have to do with our relationships, and Jesus cares a lot about our relationships with him and our relationship with each other. So keep that in mind. Most of Jesus' work in and through the church falls into that category of relationships. And so the third thing, the final thing that I'll highlight here, uh, if we were to summarize this passage, notice that if maturity of our faith comes through tests and trials, we cannot hope to mature in our faith if we avoid the tests and the trials. And so there's an opportunity, there's an invitation and a challenge for followers of Jesus to say, I actually want to grow and mature in my faith, and I'm willing to stay rooted in joy when the trials come. Growing in anything worth growing in, it takes practice, it takes effort, it takes patience, it takes time. And with our faith, if we are to mature in our understanding of the wonders and the promises of God through Jesus Christ, we will need and we will have these tests and these trials. And they're going to help us better grasp how incredibly wonderful God's love and grace is for us. So that's your introduction to the book of James. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we thank you for this book of James. We thank you, Lord, for uh, the many ways that it is set to challenge our faith and maybe even give us some trials and tests to go through on our own. Lord, I pray once again that we would have open hearts and open minds, that we might hear your word and we might be compelled to live differently because of the word of God in our lives. So through your grace, Lord, through the grace of Jesus Christ, may our faith be strengthened and emboldened and may it grow. May you help us, Lord, to become mature and complete in you. In Jesus' name, amen.